No, he's not the 90s R&B singer. You're listening to Old Timey Crimey, crimes from the golden age of yesteryear. Now, here are your hosts, Christy, Amber, and Scott. It's old timey crimey. I'm Christy. I'm Scott. I'm Amber. I forgot who I was for a second. I'm so sorry. It, it's been. I understand. <laughs> I understand. It's been that kind of day. It's the kind. It's the kind of week where you forget who you are. Yeah. The kind of. The kind of month. The kind of year. Century. Um, the, so the amazing thing is, by the time this goes up, there's going to be a whole new shitstorm. Undoubtedly, yes. Um, this is obviously, as I said, old timey crimey. Welcome to your weekly dose of historical true crime from the not so good old days. And before we get started, just a few points of business. Don't forget about our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash old timey crimey where we have our weekly bonus episodes and then a big monthly bonus episode. Guys, there is hours and hours of content there. Amber just told us an absolutely amazing story. That just, you think it's over? It's not. You think it's over? It's not. Oh, you thought it was over? Guess what? It's not. Still not. <laughs> still not over. It's still so, going on now. Yes. <laughs> Those are available at the $5 level. You get access to all of that. So much content for you to enjoy. So many filthy words. Just so, so many. So uh, there's that. And uh, if you're not the long-term relationship type, you can leave us a buck or two or whatever on the nightstand using our email address at PayPal. That is oldtimeycrimey at gmail.com. And we'll give you a shout out on the show. We'll do that with the Patreon too. You, you, you know, with the... PayPal, you, you don't necessarily get the content, but you get us saying your name in a weird accent or singing. No, please don't publish that. Edit that out, Scott, please. Say my name. Say I, my name. I gotcha. Amber, I'm not going to edit that out. <laughs> he's, he's not going to edit that out. Or singing it. So. Those are your options, and you should take advantage of them. And just to, to let you guys know, just to be transparent about what we spend this money on, it, it's hookers and blow. Yeah. But actually not. Um, I uh, We don't make I, enough money for those things. <laughs> <laughs> In addition to the normal podcasting costs, like, you know, hosting and all that fun stuff, there's also, like, you, especially when you're digging into the old-timey crimes – it can be harder to find information without access to some of the archives out there. And some of those archives cost money. So we, with your help, have been bringing you, hopefully, even better researched, more detailed episodes. And if you help us even more, we can, you know, increase the level of detail. It would be awesome. So is that what some- we're supposed to be spending it on? Because I keep buying rum. Uh, we, we need to have a podcast meeting. <laughs> 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 so, so yeah, just to let you know, you know, how you're helping us, uh, it would be to give us more access to archives where we can find all those information, all those juicy little bits of detail that really make the case is what they are. We all so, love juicy bits. Love juicy bits. Um, I don't know how the hell to segue that. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> oh, we are talking this week about Babyface Nelson and kind of continuing our little uh, theme we started last week with John Dillinger. And then we stumbled upon Babyface Nelson. And uh, that was fascinating. So if you haven't heard the John Dillinger episode, you may want to go back. This isn't highly dependent on it, but there are a few events and details that Babyface was a part of, John Dillinger was more recognized for. So you might want to hear that one first, just as a heads up. So Babyface Nelson was born Lester Gillis on December 6th, 1908 in Chicago. True to his name, that's the way he fucking stayed. A baby. (laughs) (laughs) I have a fun typo here. Uh, I, I went to find a grave to find the number of his siblings, and I counted five under one of his relatives, but then I was like, I realized that, oh, including that, there would be six total so uh, i and then i i tried to fix that but uh, now i have youngest of 56 children jesus christ you know what i actually have and this came from babyfacenelsonjournal.com he was the seventh child his mother's yeah. shooting him out like a fucking t-shirt cannon because I, <laughs> I was trying to fix it to six siblings and i just or it, it was confusing it was it was confusing but anyhow it doesn't matter um but yeah he was the seventh child and and did yeah stay pretty pretty young looking his whole life. Uh, the eldest was actually seventeen years his senior. So once again we have one of those families just like with John Dillinger where there are siblings with uh, larger amounts of years between them than normal bigger gaps. I don't know if, if that matters or not. That's actually how my family is. Maybe that's why I'm nuts. That's how my family is, and um, I'm less insane, but I'm not you know shooting up any banks. There's eleven years yet. between all of us. There's five of us. We're spread out over 55 years. Um, let's see. I don't know. I, uh, it really depends. I'm not going to get into it with my family because there's three sets of children and it gets confusing. So uh, both of his parents were actually born in Belgium slash France, according to the census. So the 1910 census had that, uh, I guess, one, the other, both. I don't know. His father was a tanner, and according to the census, both of his parents spoke English and were able to read and write. Yes, they asked those questions. And in, when that census was taken in 1910, and probably before and after that, uh, his uh, so this would be Babyface's uncle, so his dad's brother, Oliver, lived with them. He was also a tanner, also from Belgium, France, imagine that. Seems the two might have actually had their own tanning business. So that's interesting. They, they tanned leather. When uh, I'm going to go ahead and call him Nelson, even though his, uh, his birth name is Gillis, because you know him better by that. So that's where this begins. When Nelson was 10, he had a sister die at age 25. And now, okay, I ran into this. Most sources say that he enters the criminal world around age 13. But... I did find one source that has him shooting another kid with a pistol that he had found at age seven, whether it's on purpose by accident or he was just playing and didn't whatever. It doesn't say but one way or the other. He may have shot a, another child at age seven. Yeah. Shot the kid right in the jaw and served a year in the state reformatory. Spent a year in the state reformatory. I'm going to spend a year in speech therapy. <laughs> 
You know, though, I would believe that, though, because I, I did see that during his school years. Now, granted, he dropped out in eighth grade, so he didn't have a very long school history. But um, he was known to have a short temper and got into a lot of fights. So yes. that wouldn't surprise me. So it might have been on purpose, which is terrifying. So after that, it's if, it's the usual petty stuff we all do as kids. You know, we steal cars and tires. We do a little bootlegging. You know, twelve-year-olds making illegal booze. That, it's that's well, that's life. Shit, I was so, I always thought you were just making the Aerosmith live tape. <laughs> I was gonna say for me that was what I was doing. How am I not one of these like crazy mobsters? Really, that is an excellent question. Yeah. <laughs> so, and it was during these early years at some point that he got the nickname Babyface for obvious reasons. He looked really young uh, when he got to his full height on you know his info cards that the FBI had on him. He was five four and I'm sorry five four and a half. Oh, I feel I feel for him. I actually know where the baby face came from. Oh, give it to me. So um, it, we're not quite there yet, but it was during one of his crimes when he, he was raiding a home and he was stealing the jewelry of none other than the mayor of Chicago's wife. During the interview with the police, the wife of the mayor of Chicago described him as having a baby face, good looking, hardly more than a boy. Oh, I did have that one later on. I think somewhere. Um, they give, but I, I didn't realize that. Was, for, I didn't realize that was the first time. That was the first time that that he was referred to as as baby face. So, like a lot of people were like, it's because he looked really young and he was short. But the first time that he was really referred to as baby face is when she actually described him as that. We tend to go back and be like, baby face was born in 1908, but. He wasn't baby face yet. Yeah, yeah. He was a baby and he had a face. (laughs) He actually tried to pass off several other nicknames that didn't stick. My favorite being Big George Nelson. Oh, yeah. God damn. You cannot give yourself a nickname. (laughs) Nicknames have to be given to you. He tried. Yeah, he hated that nickname. Once he could, he really kept on trying to grow facial hair, but you can never see it in any picture that I've seen. So, Look at my uh, beard. It's seven hairs long now. (laughs) He got busted for auto theft in 1922, so he would have been 14. And he got punished for this with a stint in St. Charles School and Home for Boys, which I did a a touch of research on this. It is 900 900 acres in St. Charles, Illinois, which is about 40 miles out of Chicago. They call it a a cottage system, which is you have 50 boys per cottage. And I'm sorry if you can fit 50 boys in it. It's not a cottage. That's just making it sound cute. (laughs) Or it's It's really, really packed. (laughs) (laughs) And it, it was for boys who were under 16. And then you had at each cottage had a house mother and father. And They provided intellectual and vocational training and then supplemented that with religious instruction as well as military training. And there was also a farm. You have 900 acres. You may as well have a farm. So they did some like animal husbandry there. Sheep labor. Uh, Yeah, right. 
uh, other inmates in more recent years, uh, Jose Padilla, if anybody remembers the dirty bomb in 2002, he was, uh, he was in the, the St. Charles school from 1985 to 1988. So there you go. Um, he was in for two years and paroled. And then in like less than six months, he was back in. So really didn't, didn't help with the recidivism. But while he was in there, that last, that second stint, his father died of suicide. Uh, according to the death certificate, asphyxiation due to inhaling illuminating gas, said gas escaping from a carbine jet turned on with his own hand with suicidal intent while despondent. So not great there. And so at the time, like I said, Babyface was in the baby jail. Oh, <laughs> it's just I mean, a really big bird cage. Yeah. And he, he was like, okay, when I get out, I'm going to help, help my mom out. And he was, he gets out. He's always, even from the time he was a little kid, he was in a gang of some kind. You know, this is gang stuff. It starts really early, apparently. And at age 20, he gets married to Helen Wozniak. She is 16. So uh, something he has in common with John Dillinger. They both married a little bit younger. Uh, she's a sales girl. And he had started going by the name George Nelson, but she used his original last name. So she was Helen Gillis and he was George Nelson. They popped out a couple of kids, a boy and a girl named Ronald and Darlene. And then on, uh, and Amber, I didn't have the details of the mayor's uh, wife r robbery. So when you, whenever we get to that date, just go ahead and jump right in. Um, but I have the, the first well-documented crime I have is January 6th, 1930. Uh, he was a part of the Tuhi, Tuhi, it's T-O-U-H-Y gang. Tuhi, I'm going to go with Tuhi. I like it, Tuhi. The Tui gang, and they do like a whole fitting Tui. Yeah, Tui. Maybe that's why they. Hey, maybe that's how they got the name. <laughs> so fucking ridiculous is what it is. <laughs> it is. They do a home invasion. Uh, the victim is Charles M. Richter. He's the vice president of Consolidated Magazine. The or magazines. Sorry, it's more than one magazine that is consolidated. That's kind of what consolidation is. There are five in the gang, and they rob the 20-room house. So the way they go about this is they start with two of them at the front door. The parlor maid answers the door, and they, they say, you know, Mr. So-and-so for Mr. Richter. And so Mr. Richter comes down. They hold a gun to him and kind of force him inside as they slip in. Three others jump out from the bushes and come in as well. Just as they're kind of getting things figured out, his wife is descending the stairs for dinner and she sees this scene with five young men holding her husband at gunpoint. And Mr. Richter says, I'm going to put on my, I'm going to try my snooty, fancy voice. I'm going to, I'm going to go for it. Oh, don't, don't forget to extend the pinky. It's not oh, going to yes, work. Okay. It's a holdup, dear. Now, don't get excited. Give these men anything they ask for. See? See, the pinky helped. <laughs> it really did. It really did. So <laughs> the Richters actually had two kids, eight and six, who were up in their bedroom with their nursemaids. 
Uh, well, there were 20 rooms in the house. I imagine they at le- each at least had one bedroom, if not three. <laughs> um, the girl was six and she slept through it. But the boy, his nursemaid was was with him. And the one of the gang members poked his head in with the pistol. And the, the boy laughed. He thought it was a joke. And the nursemaid was like, ha ha, yeah, it's a joke. That's less traumatizing we'll go with that (laughs) (laughs) he's gonna cry later on yeah so they uh the the robbers take mrs richter to her room to get her jewels and they also tape richter up with it's always mentioned as adhesive tape as though there's a non-adhesive tape okay and they also cut all the phone lines so pretty Smart. I mean, this is the 30s. It's not like, you know, every phone has three phone lines, you know, like it, it's it's they, they knew to do that. And that tape thing, actually, it was it, I tried to find other cases because in one article they called them the tape bandits. And I was like, is this them in particular? But I found so many different articles with tape being used and a couple mentioning tape bandits that it was and none of them really mentioned names just yet. So I wasn't able to distinguish it. But tape bandits did this. They taped people up to rob them. And so their haul from this job from Mrs. Richter, they got three diamond bracelets, an emerald ring, a diamond engagement ring, a diamond brooch. And from Mr. Richter, they got a platinum watch and a ring set with three diamonds. That came out to about $25,000 worth of jewelry, which is $389,000 in today's money. You knew she was going to look it up. Oh, I, I've gotten to the point. You would think I would have learned a long time ago, but I've gotten to the point where I just leave the currency converter tab and the map tab up because <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm going to be using them. I know it. And so I'm just like, why? every time I, I, I would go to reopen the currency converter, I'm like, why did I close it in the first place? You know, <laughs> so yeah, that's 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 my life now. Currency conversions <laughs> and maps. I really like maps. So um, they tell you where stuff is. They do, and I like that. Isn't that great? So they, uh, the gang left, and they actually slipped right past a traffic cop on the corner, which I don't really blame him. How was he to know? They, they just got jewelry. It wasn't just stuff they could stuff into their pockets. If he, unless he has x-ray vision, he's not going to know, you know? They could just saunter right past, and it's just another five guys just wandering around. Whatever. So. Uh, the next I have is January 22nd, 1930. They do another robbery. This time, uh, according to the newspapers, quote, posing as interior decorators, four polite robbers invaded the home of Stuart J. Templeton, wealthy attorney, end quote. And actually, Mr. Templeton wasn't home. Mrs. Templeton had just left, and I imagine that they waited for her to leave. And then they came in. They got past the maid with that whole, you know, oh, we're interior decorators here to make estimates. And they made up a whole thing. It wasn't just we're here to make estimates. It's we're here to make estimates for a whole new house that Mrs. Templeton wants to build. <laughs> like, you would think the maids would be like, what the hell's going on here? I didn't know they were building. Did you know they were building a new house? Uh, yeah, sure. It was It was in the newspaper and on TV and everything. <laughs> so... Again, uh, they used the adhesive tape to bind up the maids, and they made off this time with about $5,000 in jewelry, so that's $77,000 in today's money. And then they switch gears a little bit, 
you know, sometimes in your career, you know, one thing, you get a little tired of it. So you got to pivot. And on April 21st, 1930, they pivoted to bank robbery. Man, that's that's a pretty fucking big pivot. Yeah. They got 62, well, no, sorry. They got $4,000. That uh, is $62,000 in today's money. And then he was like, I'm going to pivot back to home invasion. And I think Amber, this might be, I just have, they say specifically he has a baby face. So this might be the mayor's wife. It is the mayor. It is the mayor. And there's not a whole lot that was said about this home invasion. It was the same thing. It was the tape bandits. Um, But I think because it was the mayor, they kind of kept it hush hush. Mm. So um, that was the mayor's wife that was describing him to police. Um, I know you have a little bit in your source uh, that gets a little more in depth, hardly more. A boy had dark hair and was wearing a gray top coat and a brown felt hat, turned down brim. Um, But there wasn't a lot said other than he took all the jewelry. Um, Now, I did see that he, he did steal an enormous stash of the mayor's wife's jewels. Oh, I was hoping it was just an enormous stash. <laughs> Mayor's wife had so much weed, and we demand the police get it back. And but, I can understand. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I don't think they said a lot just because it was a public figure like that. They didn't want people to know. And I can understand why. Not that it's right necessarily, but I can understand why. Because uh, a couple articles I read uh, mentioned just how prevalent crime was Chicago, we we know during this time it was very much like gangland, but there were one article said there were between the hours of five p.m. and midnight every night on average twenty five robberies. I mean that kind of makes sense. We we went back and we found out there was fucking crime going on everywhere. Shit, there, what was it? The uh, the goddamn asparagus ring and. It wasn't yeah. this artichoke. Oh the fucking artichoke mafia of Denver. The artichoke mafia, that's right. Of Denver. <laughs> Denver. That is right. And yeah. they weren't anything to fuck with. Yeah, yeah. It, seriously, it is very much like uh, like you came up with, Scott. The good old days weren't so good. No, they okay. were not. So I just did a quick Google search and I did get some information off of Wikipedia because I was curious as to who the mayor was because they never said anything. So this was William Big Bill Hale Thompson, who is the mayor. Um, Wait, Big Bill Hill? (laughs) Big Bill Hale Hale. Thompson. There is is a great video. Uh, It's uh, Big Bill Hale's auto sales. It was done for a car sales convention. And the, the same guy that did advertisements for car things did this hilarious video called Big Bill Hell. Say, like, fuck you, Baltimore. That's how it starts off. And it just goes downhill from there. <laughs> so I am going to say I, I have a new idea of why this wasn't in the media. So Big Bill had an open alliance with Al Capone. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say that uh, he was was not going to say much, just in case it was one of his guys' boys. Yeah, Chicago also had some pretty famously corrupt mayors through the years. So 
Makes a lot of makes a lot of sense. So fucking cor- so fucking corrupt. It was breathtaking. <laughs> yeah, really. Like, okay, so Big Bill actually collapsed and died, and they found two safe deposit boxes in his name containing what would equal twenty six point seven million today in cash and bonds. Hell, oh yeah. my. So I don't think he very much cared that his wife, Mary, lost her jewels. Yeah, he probably was able to replace those pretty quick. And in that first home invasion I talked about, one of the robbers did say, we know this doesn't mean anything to you. You can, you're not losing anything. You can just report it to the insurance company and get everything back. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, that's um, they do this this home invasion thing. And then uh, they change it up and uh, rob a roadhouse. And this is when things start getting pretty gnarly. There were three dead and three wounded. We don't know who actually did any of the shooting, but we do know there were casualties. Then they rob a tavern and there's one death in that one. So it goes from, we're not going to hurt anybody if you just give us your jewelry and escalates to, well, we've we've killed three people. We may as well start killing other people here and there. You know, if if it happens, it happens. I guess. I like to think that's a very good idea. <laughs> so, then in October of 1930, back to banks. Uh, he gets another 4,600. But in that particular robbery, he was identified. So that starts to get a little hairy for him. And even more, Harry, is in November of 1930, four people died in a robbery he was involved in. And we have a confirmed kill of his a few days later when he shot someone in a robbery. So that's when he starts. We at least know at that point that he had shot somebody by November of 1930. And I'm pretty sure they just said shot him. I'm pretty sure since it was had just mentioned, like, you know, multiple people dying in another robbery that. He shot and killed, but it was unclear language. So, um, right, clearly, people, come on. You know what, though? Like, it, it could also be because he was almost always with a gang. It it could be where we don't know which one shot. So, we don't want to pin this guy when it was his buddy. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And, and, and in those other robberies, if nobody could identify them yet, then at the time of publication, you know, they, they couldn't identify them. That's that's all there was to it. You know, until they could actually figure out who it was, they would say, well, it was a guy with a young face or maybe it wasn't, you know? It was the little guy. The little guy did it. <laughs> the little guy did it. So then we get to February of 1931. And now she wasn't with him for everything, but Helen, his wife, was, she did join him for, for some crimes. And... This was when he, his wife, and six others were arrested in a raid for a string of robberies and home invasions. Surprise! <laughs> Shocking! <laughs> Yay! And apparently they also, uh, as the, the trial was ramping up, they threatened a witness. Uh, so, But she still came to the stand, very brave. And in March 1931, he was indicted with two others for the Templeton home invasion. That was the wealthy attorney. And they were held on $100,000 bail. And shit, I forgot to look that up. (laughs) I'll donate later, I swear. (laughs) I never donate. I use it enough that I'm going to because uh, I should. 
Nope. So I actively avoid Wikipedia so I don't feel the need to donate. <laughs> we need to tap into this donation guilt thing. Um, 1.7 million as of uh, this, this, this recording. So there you go. So, yeah, that's quite the bail, which means they were taking it seriously. And so then there is the trial, and one of his gang, who is also indicted, turns against him in court and goes state's evidence. And so there was also a trial. So this trial was for the bank robbery that he committed with two others. And the sentence he got for that was one year to life. And it was really funny. There was this newspaper article that was accusing him and one of his gang members of hiding in prison. <laughs> I like to play hide and seek when behind bars, but the hiding places leave a lot to be desired. Yeah. It was like, oh, he's hiding from other charges in prison. I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure he's punished for some charges in prison. And if you want to, he's not actively hiding there. If you want to charge him, charge him. You know, he's sitting right, right there, right there. Not going not anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, not in, not, not for a minute. Um, <laughs> So, and in February 1932, they took him to trial for another bank robbery. So they had to take him out of prison to Wheaton, Illinois for trial. And the same, uh, a friend ratted him out there. It was Harry Powers. And I have uh, the description of how this went down in court. And it ends uh, in my favorite way possible that I'm, I'm so glad it ended this way. So. Powers told how he met Nelson, how they planned the robbery of the Itasca Bank, how they had come to Itasca twice to look over things, how they stole a high-powered Chrysler car for the job and left it at the river at a river forest garage the night previous to the holdup, how they met the next morning at seven o'clock and drove to Roselle and thence back to Itasca, how the job was accomplished, how they left the stolen car on a quiet street in Chicago and transferred their booty to a little black satchel, how they went to Nelson's home and divided $4,900 between them. In the midst of this testimony, Nelson cried out in a rage, That's a lie! Why don't you tell the truth, you dirty rat? God damn, right out of a 1920s movie. I know. I was like, I was just like, no, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna screenshot that and put it right in the notes. <laughs> so the jury actually took four hours on this one. Can you guys believe it? That might be our longest deliberation ever. That's yeah. <laughs> it was like they actually put some thought into it. Right? They actually no, they didn't. They liked the free food. <laughs> I, I highly doubt that the Wheaton, Illinois court system provides some some good good eats. <laughs> to be fair, if you're from Wheaton, Illinois, probably, you know, a good meal is hard to find. It's just free food is free food. It's just it's not really a meal of survival until the next day. <laughs> So he actually got one to 20 years for that. And interestingly, I don't remember if I actually mentioned his other sentence. His other sentence was one year to life. It could go either way. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> but uh, that, that wasn't what happened uh, either way. After the trial, see, they had sent a prison guard from uh, Joliet Prison, where he had been before, to Wheaton to take him back to prison. So they go and they take a train to 
uh, Joliet. They take a cab uh, to the, well, they're supposed to be going to the prison, but Babyface whips out a gun, demands his handcuffs be removed, and tells the driver of the cab to head to Chicago. But then they get out into the country and he just throws them out and steals the cab. Uh, now, the idea is probably that his wife, Helen, likely hid the gun at the train station for him, which is pretty sneaky. But I really loved the subheadline in the newspapers. Reverses judge's sentence at the prison gate with gun. <laughs> <laughs> Get you innocent, you fucking screw. <laughs> innocent. <laughs> Completely innocent. So now he is on the lamb. Uh, he spends some time in Reno, but then he heads out to California where he hooks up with John Paul Chase. He's an underworldy type. He didn't. He'd done some li liquor smuggling, and it was in Sausalito, California, which always makes me hungry for sausage. Right. Uh, <laughs> that's. I couldn't live there. I'd have to eat sausage every day, or else I'd get. I, maybe I'd get sick of it eventually, and then like. Your arms and legs would. Happy man. Your arms and legs <laughs> would blow up like big gas balloons. Yeah. So. He starts out working for John Paul Chase as an armed guard, but they kind of turn into BFFs, partners in the in the underworld together, and Helen comes out to stay with them. And they're, they're sort of a trio uh, frequently. So then uh, Nelson goes back out on the road for a while. He gets some more bank robber connections, including one that would lead him to the Dillinger gang. He met Homer Van Meter, Scott's favorite oh. dude. <laughs> Lasso and flies. <laughs> Lasso and flies. And now I have, oh dear, this newspaper was very, okay. Um, it was very faded in the archives. Oh, I hate that. And so I'm going to do my best to read this to you. I might just want to pull it up in the document, actually. It might be a little easier. I was actually getting out my flashlight, literally. <laughs> so I'm going to read you about the August 1933 bank robbery in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So. Oh, my. Here we go. Okay. So on. It was August uh, 18th or 19th. Uh, scores of state police, sheriffs, officers, and vigilantes spread in searching parties across Michigan today. So it was four or five bandits who had robbed the People's State Bank. They got about $2,000 and they shot four people. Uh, the cops went out looking for them everywhere. Not much luck there. And their names were not really connected to this yet. Uh, and they did manage to get one member of the gang who had gotten a concussion during all of this, as well as a fractured leg and gunshot wounds in his hands. And that wow. was, they actually captured him. Yeah, he was captured a few seconds after the robbery. And so I, I, I do wonder how he got a concussion, a fractured leg and gunshot wounds. Um, I think maybe the cops. His his name was Harry Harris. Well, there <laughs> you shoot him too. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> And it says here, he said he said his name and that he was from Chicago, but he defied he defied questioners to make me squawk on my pals. That wasn't my best 20s, 30s voice, but 
I, I, you, they, they can't all be winners, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it, they they robbed the bank. It was kind of a big thing. They uh, took some children hostage. Uh, it was quite something. They, a couple people shot from the abdomen, spine, etc. Some other people wounded. And... <laughs> Sorry, guys. My Don't worry. Ar- I'm just shot in the spine. <laughs> yeah. So, interestingly, uh, the we, we have the answer to who shot Harry Harris. Edward Kinkema, employed in a neighboring furniture store, responded when the alarm sounded and shot down Harris. So, not even a cop, just the furniture store dude. <laughs> Hold on, wait, do you guys remember the, the story we did about the uh, the bounties for all citizens? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think that existed here where, like, if you could kill a bank robber, you would get some of the money? Well, it, that was, I think that was just in Texas. Well, yeah, I know. But, like, do you think they had a policy like that? Because then I would totally go out and try to play Batman here. I mean, I don't know if they did or not. Uh, it, it could have been that other, other states had similar policies. It very well could have been. Especially with so many robberies going along. So they basically fired into the crowd, then ran across the street to a parked car in which were Mrs. Joseph Miller and Mrs. Louis Benima with four children. Pushing the women from the car, the trio were about to start away with the children when the women's scream, uh, screams apparently caused them to let out the children. Oh, good. <laughs> At least there's that. Yeah. Like, At least there's that. They're all fathers. Yeah, yeah. That is true. So there is that that motivation. Um, in their haste, for pursuers were at their heels. They because le- they had to abandon the car. Of course, uh, they ran out of gas. They left most of the stolen money in the abandoned car. Two bags of silver coins were also found along the route. So it was believed they were headed to Toledo. Toledo. I said that weird. So. Now, after this, sometime he hooks up with uh, Homer Van Meter, and they rob the First National Bank in Brainerd, Brainerd, Minnesota, on October twenty third, nineteen thirty three. I've been there. I've been there. How is Brainerd? It's uh, uh, very flat. It's hard Uh, to get excited about any place where the main geographical feature is the horizon. Yeah, just having we've all grown up in in hilly places, so it's hard for us to deal. I, I always feel like it's too open, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I'm uncomfortable. I, I need hills to protect me. <laughs> so it's this was an interesting way that they did this. They started at like six a.m. And basically, as the first people working at the the bank started coming in, these five members of this gang just started grabbing people and, you know, putting them away, putting them somewhere so that they they wouldn't be part of it or, you know, like holding them, making them lay on the floor and then holding them at gunpoint. So first they get the janitor and his wife who came to, I guess she also worked there. And then they get the security guard. And then they actually occupy the bank for three hours 
they're wearing they're wearing masks. They uh, apparently number party. <laughs> Yeah, one article said that they had their guns hidden in market baskets. So, like a shopping basket of some kind. I'm, I'm, I'm imagining a picnic type basket. Actually, that would be great. I love the way they said Babyface like shot everything up. Apparently, he just like held down the trigger and whipped the gun around. Yeah, that was kind of his style. <laughs> yeah, I was just. Like, Jesus Christ, baby face. How about you just fucking take a rubber band to hold it down and a rope to weapon around your head like a fucking lasso? And he's like, that's a great idea, guys. He would. He would have been. <laughs> yeah. Altogether, they overpowered 14 people. And the thing was, the vault was on a time lock and it couldn't be opened until 8.50. So they had to wait around. And so once they got the money, it was about 32000 That's 642000 in today's money. They it, it was suspected that they had a signal uh, for the getaway car because the thing was that they, they had these Blue Eagle stickers that businesses could put in their windows from the NRA, but not that NRA. <laughs> it was it was more it was kind of like a National Chamber of Commerce thing where they could put the sticker in their window and it was, you know, like um, American pride stuff. So. It was actually, I believe when I was doing my research for last week's case, I saw that one diner had its NRA sticker revoked and was the first business in the United States to have done that because I guess I think Dillinger and some of his gang were at their business and they didn't do anything about it, if they even knew. <laughs> so, so, yeah, they, 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 the signal is they take, have an employee take down a sticker and it seemed like within seconds, the getaway car came. Like, they knew it was time. So that might have been just pretty smart, having some sort of a signal that isn't too overt, you know? If you go hide out there, the signal's going to be, oh, fuck, the cops! <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, like, like Scott said, he really just went crazy with the Tommy gun. They, they shot up the interior, the exterior, nearby buildings. Just that the local YMCA had, like, a, I don't know if I'm saying this word right, but cupola? Cupola? Uh, is pronounced, I believe, cupola. Uh, cupola. Cupola. Okay. Cupola is like the dome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, that cupola had eighteen bullet holes. Jesus Christ! That's <laughs> yeah. that's pretty high up to to be shooting. God damn, dude. Yeah. And miraculously, no one in the bank was hurt. There were four bystanders outside who were nearly hit in the hail of bullets, but also still remained unharmed. Just had a you know, probably uh, peed their pants a little bit. So <laughs> the only reason I know Coppola, there's a transformer named Coppola. Okay, all right. Well, that that mystery solved. Yeah. So his, why does Scott know an architectural term? <laughs> his, his his head comes off and turns into a tiny robot. <laughs> nice. No real reason. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry, I just <laughs> love transformers. We know. <laughs> This episode is sponsored by Best Fiends. So, who's been playing Best Fiends lately? Oh, right here, baby. We have! So have I! Best Fiends, if our listeners don't know, is a super fun puzzle game that's bright, fun, colorful, and it's a great stress reliever. And anyone can play it. That is absolutely right. It is great because it engages your brain, but it also helps you clear your mind, which everyone really needs right now. Oh, dear God, yes. With over 
100 million global downloads, I'd say you're right. We love collecting the cute characters and we love competing to see who can beat the most levels. And speaking of, it's level check time. I will never catch up, 817. Uh, you guys I are way gone. <laughs> I'm completely fudge record. I will also never catch up to Christy unless I take two weeks off of work. Um, I am at 15.03. Well, I am at 26.19. Oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> I'm a fiend machine, baby. You that's, are a fiend machine. That's not a level. That's a price. <laughs> so come join us and play some best fiends and try to beat more levels than us. Engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. This was actually the very first robbery in Brainerd. So uh, make it making strides here, babyface. <laughs> making making firsts. Uh, I, don't, which... I don't know why Brainerd had this much money on hand. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so now one article I found actually mentions this robbery as well as Dillinger's gang raids on cop shops. Sorry, I wrote that from my notes. Uh, police de departments. <laughs> Sometimes the abbreviations make it into the show. <laughs> so, um, into police departments, because those were happening around the same time period. And they had this commentary to make. I'm going to be, I wrote this newspaper's name and time period down because I'm going to be going back to see if I can find some of this delightful sarcasm. One wonders what the next step will be. Whether policemen will hastily gather all the bows and arrows and slingshots within reach for ret retributive attack, or whether, for sheer protection, they will lock up the police stations and rest secure in the thought that the big bad wolves can't blow a brick station house down. Damn. <laughs> Somebody uh, was feeling a little snappy that morning. A little, a little salt to go with your breakfast there, buddy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So they're kind of on the run from all these, you know, crimes they've committed. He goes and he grabs Helen and the article just said their son. I don't know if he took the daughter too. I do know that both the children would stay with his sister frequently while the, the, this happy couple was out on the road doing crimes left and right. I wouldn't be surprised if they left the girl behind because it was a girl. <laughs> yep. Yep. Oh, that is the perfect. I have a, a quick little just side trip down what the fuck lane. Okay, I found I love this. What the fuck lane? What the fuck lane is my favorite place. And I found this when I was looking for information on the uh, St. Charles School for Boys. And this was in uh, the same paper in, in Fargo where they had information about that for some reason. They had this article, and I could not bear to save this for an old-timey newspaper. I had to share this one with you guys because it is just too... Uh, oh, okay, so. To protect young girls, 
Minneapolis police will escort young girls home. Those without proper chaperonage cannot bum around on the streets, and special policemen will be assigned to round them up. <laughs> the horror squad. Yeah. yeah. Just go with a megaphone out there. Attention, tramp. <laughs> <laughs> young girls without proper escorts will be kept off the streets at night. If the plans I bet of. they will. <laughs> If the plans of the Humane Society do not miscarry. Ma'am, you have 10 seconds to return to your whorehole, or but we will euthanize you. Did you guys miss Humane Society? That's why I said euthanize you. Oh, there we go. Yeah, oh, I, we did look this up in the actual like Humane Society as we know it. You know that, that... It used to be for young girls? <laughs> no, it didn't start until 1954, until 50 I years after this. God <laughs> damn it, man. Just don't... Uh, man, I've been doing it all wrong. I had to go to the Humane Society to pick up chicks? Damn. You could adopt one. I could adopt one. Oh, I'll take her in the cage over there. Oh, dear. This went <laughs> so differently. <laughs> so, yeah, the, it must have been some other sort of, like, public welfare pearl-clutching group. So, continuing on. For several months, the number of young girls on the streets has been the source of trouble and complaints have been made at police headquarters. Superintendent Conroy has issued orders to patrolmen to pick up young girls found out alone at night, but the orders have not resulted in improvement. At last, the Humane Society has decided, decided to take the matter in hand. The plan, which was originated by Chief Pearl Clutcher, Miss Vera Bean, Secretary of the Society, is to... Time out real quick because take the matter in hand is slang often used for spanking. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, that's something. Damn. Okay. Uh, they're going to employ an additional officer who shall be on duty from noon until midnight and whose special work shall be to investigate the cases of all young girls found out alone. This officer will have special police power and will arrest all girls found out after they have been warned to keep off the streets. Quote, for some time we have felt the need of taking such a step, said Miss Bean today. The number of young girls who roam the streets at night is something terrible. We have done the best we could in dealing with them, but it is uphill work. The police do what they can to aid us but we have concluded that we must have a special officer to deal with them. The new officer will cost us about $900 a year. That's $27,000 in today's currency. But I am sure that when the people of Minneapolis learn what we are undertaking, they will come to our aid and will subscribe the additional 900 needed for this department of tramps. I added of tramps. Of course. I love that they just hired a police officer to run around and spank the girls. Apparently, yes. Oh, dear. So, yeah, that was, I, I had to sidetrack that because I could not save that for later. It is too ridiculous. It is too, it's it's one of those old-timey things that we find that's both funny and makes you want to go back in time and punch someone in the face. Right? Yes, you would get arrested for having a vagina. And notice that it's like, oh, girl's out at night, but he's going to be on duty from noon until midnight. I can't take a fucking walk alone at noon. No, it would, you would endanger yourself. How dare you go out single? Look at that slut. <laughs> that looks like a woman that's going to be around after the sun sets. I'm going to tailor. Look at her <laughs> walking alone. Haul it. That whore. Yeah. I just feel like he would just drive around and like bend women over on park benches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Officer Spanky. Fucking so, slut. So he's Scotch is really enjoying the opportunity to say slut and whore like a lot. Yeah. yeah. The opportunity has presented itself and I will take it. <laughs> when opportunity knocks, go call it a whore. Yeah. What, what do you want, you fucking slut? <laughs> so, okay. Thank you for enjoying, which I hope you enjoyed and also wanted to punch somebody in the face uh, back in time. That particular uh, segue, not segue, that sidetrack. So back to Babyface Nelson, who is allowed to roam the streets whenever he wants and doesn't have a special officer detailing him to make sure he's not alone and spanking him. That's a whole different movie. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I think you're going to watch that one later. I want to go back in time and spank the spanking officer. That's what I want to do. <laughs> You'd take your cat and nine tails back in time with you, wouldn't you? Oh, I totally would. I would make his ass bleed and he would love every second of it. Yeah. <laughs> so, baby face Nelson. Go ahead, Scott. One no. more. Oh, no, no, no. The moment has passed. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so... The little family uh, and the gang go to San Antonio, but that goes sour pretty quickly because uh, two detectives and one of the gangsters ended up in a confrontation that ended with one detective being killed and the other one wounded. So not great. So then he's off to California and he reunites with his good old buddy, John Paul Chase. And they do their thing for a while. They go to Minneapolis, Washington State, Reno, and they are connected to two deaths during that period. Interestingly, one of those deaths was a person who was scheduled to testify in a mail fraud case. I feel like that was a little on purpose and maybe he got some money for it. Yeah, I don't I don't think that was an accidental like we just ran into this guy in Reno and decided to kill him. I like that idea. <laughs> Scott feeling particularly homicidal tonight. I am. I'm sorry. Like I'm not feeling well. So yeah, I think I just kinda wanna uh Yeah, see people not feel well too. Yeah, we like Frankie <laughs> A little bit. So in nineteen thirty four Babyface, John Paul Chase, and Helen join up with Dillinger after Dillinger's second escape from jail. Uh, right after he and his first gang had been caught in Tucson. And then on March 13th, 1934, they hit the Merchants National Bank in Mason City, Iowa. Now, this, I have a couple of articles. These ones were not so super hot, too, because there were some tears in some places. But there's just a couple quotes I wanted to get in here. So they actually print where the robbers said filthy words. And then they they basically print a long dash there. So I'm going to... What filthy um, derogatory name for a person uh, should I choose to fill in the blank here? Oh, oh, is it like Mad Libs, but with dirty words? Just, just, just a couple. And it, it's basically, yeah, it, and essentially that. Okay. Yeah. Amber, you go first. No, you go first. I think I'm, I might only have one, but I feel like I, I might have another one later. You have too. to find another one. Okay. Okay. So I need to have, uh, 
Walking miscarriage. (laughs) So, okay. Uh, Because the lobby was filled when the bandits entered, it was impossible for Mr. Walters, the security guard, to get a fair shot at any of them without imperiling the lives of patrons. He therefore contented himself with firing a couple tear gas bombs. Get that walking miscarriage with the tear gas bombs out of here! Damn, I like that. Yeah. So uh, they, yeah, they robbed this bank and there's a description of, we had talked about this before, a go- one of the gang members, it was identified as Babyface. Now he's not identified such in this article, but I can only imagine from the description that it had to be him. They call him the State Street Guard because that's where he was. But it's confusing because you, they say guard and that makes you think security guard, but no. The state street guard stationed himself in front of the Mulcahy prescription shop squarely across the street from the bank. Grinning behind his machine gun, he trained it in all directions. That sounds that sounds like him. I can just picture the grin. He, he, he seemed really in his element just out on the street with a Tommy gun, you know? That does seem like him. Yeah. <laughs> so, and... There's another description of what could have been him. Because, again, they don't have ident- him identified yet in the papers. Those who watched the outward manifestations of the holdup from Federal Avenue were impressed by the utter coolness of the man in the front of the bank, who matched, marched back and forth with his submachine gun, halting cars and pedestrians alike. When Judge John C. Shipley fired down at him, he made a quick reply with a bullet, which pierced the window in Dr. B. Raymond Weston's office. His calmness was unperturbed. You'd almost think, one witness suggested, that I, I'm going to go ahead and I don't have a fill in the blank, but Amber begged for one. So I'm going to I'm going to replace the word used here with whatever she chooses. So a derogatory uh, noun for a person. Douche canoe. Oh, very. That's very good. You'd almost think, one witness suggested, that this that douche canoe believed he had the only gun in the world. It is it is 99 percent attitude out there, people. <laughs> yeah, he actually, he actually used the word bozo, but I think douche canoe fits better. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. uh, the bandit guard on the south side of the building was described by members of the bookkeeping staff as wearing a fiendish grin as he combed State Street with his machine gun, raking the upper floors of the First National Bank building occasionally as a possible warning to snipers. Oh, I do have a third one. It just is in my notes. It wasn't in my, uh, my screenshots of newspapers. So... Um, this is when the bandits were gathering hostages. And so there's one that they're trying to get in the car and he's being a little reluctant. So who wants the final fill in the blank? I'm going to let this one go to Amber. Uh, come nozzle. Oh, excellent. Excellent. So uh, the, we don't know if this was babyface. It was just one of the bandits. A bandit said to one of the hostages, get in there, you bald headed come nozzle or I'll drop you. <laughs> Yeah, this was definitely quite the event. I was uh, basically like Googled for this particular bank to get some more information about the robbery. And a little fun fact was that uh, there was a page one, like it was the top headline above the fold and everything story about the bank robbery. And then I was wondering why there was something also on page four. And I looked and it was an ad for that same bank. Oh, (laughs) that's some uh, advertising money not well spent. Then there was the Little Bohemia Lodge incident we talked about last week in April of 1934. And so he was along for that. 
they uh, the Dillinger gang goes for a nice chill weekend that ended as most vacations do with a shootout with the FBI. You know, it's, it's just part of the drill. Yeah. So uh, we talked about this quite a bit in detail last week. I did a little bit more digging on the the lodge's actual webpage, littlebohemialodge.com. And they surmise because there was some questions of, did the owner actually know it was Dillinger when he allowed him to stay? And the owner was friends with Dillinger's attorney. So it was kind of like probably, but a little more detail on that. They were staying for three days and Dillinger paid $500 for that, which is $9,700 today just for three rooms and a cottage for three days. I mean, and food, but like, seriously, that's, <laughs> that's not going to pad the bill out very much. So almost $10,000. So and since Emil Wanatka, the owner, he wasn't doing so hot with his mortgage. It's, it's pretty likely that he knew who, uh, who Dillinger was. Wow. That's so would somebody like to stay with me for about 900,000? <laughs> 9,000, 9,000, but still, still, uh, so they, uh, they stay there and it, he probably knows the, the owner does. And he changes his story quite a bit after it all comes out in the papers because at first he wasn't killed. (laughs) Oh yeah, there's that. There's that, and and it became kind of known that his wife was the one who who ratted out the gang. But at at first, it's all you know a weekend of terror for lodge owning family, and they held us hostage and stuff. And after that, it kind of changes to oh well, I didn't know there were gangsters at first, but then we were playing cards and I figured it out. And then at one point, Winaka said to the papers this line. That I absolutely adore. Say, he had a roll of money big enough to choke a cow. Hey. That's some that's some wordsmithing right there. Yeah. I like so. that. Choke a cow. <laughs> choke a cow. That's yeah. I, I the the nicest one I ever heard was a wad of cash large enough he could beat a whale to death with it. Ooh. Yeah. I, I like that. I think that was Douglas Adams. Oh, that sounds right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, love him. So just to recap what happened there, word got to the FBI, probably from the owner's wife uh, through a process that the gang was there. And when the FBI came, which wasn't the FBI then, but we're calling them than that because it's easier. Uh, when they raided, it was a very last minute thing. They were afraid that Dillinger and the gang were going to leave early. So the thing was, that the group had, when they first come, they'd kind of scouted out potential exit strategies because there was only one road in and out of the of the lodge, and they were concerned about that aspect of it. Pretty easy to get trapped if you only have one exit. Right. So they had decided that they could just escape out the back along the lakeshore if there was a raid. And uh, a quote... Everyone except Babyface Nelson. He had his own ideas. Besides, he didn't like taking orders from anyone. <laughs> Which sounds right. I'm a badass. Yeah. Who's, He's a badass. Who's a little badass? <laughs> so cutie little patootie. Uh, they, I, I was going to say, I actually had a quote from somebody that was, that was writing about him. And they, they said that where outlaws such as Pretty Boy Floyd and the Barkers would kill to protect themselves when cornered, Nelson went out of his way to murder. He loved it. 
that sounds about right. Sounds like when he, he he didn't know he liked it until he got a taste for it. And then after he got a taste for it, all, all, all bets were off. I think he also enjoyed the getting money aspect of robbing banks and, and, and committing crimes all over the place. But uh, the, the killing was definitely he was he was gleeful about it. This is yeah. fun. And I'm so good at it. Yeah, and, like, I don't know if it was an adrenaline rush. Maybe he was addicted to the adrenaline he was getting from, like, the robbing and the killing. But he loved it. He really loved it. Yeah, yeah, he did. So the FBI comes in, just to to recap, and they probably thought, with one road in and out, that they didn't need to cover the back and actually surround the place. But they were completely wrong because it was a rush job that they shouldn't have done. And that's how a couple of innocent bystanders got killed and several others got wounded. So, but of course, everybody else runs out and Babyface is just standing there like spraying the the FBI with his gun. And then he does escape, uh, leaving Helen behind. But I think that was kind of agreed upon because of uh, at least a few other of the women who are with the gang, if not all of them, did uh, hide out in the lodge and they just stayed there. The The escape was at night. It was, uh, the, the, the riverbank was slippery. There was a lot of running through the woods involved. So I think they were basically like, they can't do that with their vaginas. That's but, right. Like, also, the cops weren't really after them. Like, they were after the boys. So why bother getting shot when you could just sit tight, maybe get taken in for a day or two? Like... Makes sense. Yeah, so they just got themselves, like, tear-gassed the crap out of them. <laughs> because the, the cops, like, tear-gassed the, the, the lodge, like, just completely. And the, until the women finally basically smoked them out with tear gas, the women came running out. So Babyface then uh, gets himself a couple of hostages, and he finds a house that he basically just, like, kind of, like, busts into and says, well, I'm here now. So <laughs> now. <laughs> enjoy my lovely company. I'm a great guest. <laughs> so I will be staying a while. Yes, not, not really. But at this point, the FBI comes around to basically let people know, Hey, there's some escaped gangsters on the loose. So stay in your house, stay safe. And that's when Babyface is hiding behind a car he bursts out from that car. The agents, like, they, they pull up and they're still in the car, in their car. So Babyface confronts the agents and he says, I know you. You have on bulletproof vests, so I will give it to you high and low. So he shoots his automatic weapon, killing one agent, uh, Bomb, and another agent, Newman, tries, there. he's close enough that he tries to grab the gun from Babyface. And then he gets shot in the head. Yeah, that's what happens. Yeah. <laughs> now, when you try to grab an automatic weapon from a psychotic bank robber. Yeah. Run. <laughs> yeah. It's called duck and hide. Well, you can't really do that when somebody's at your car window. <laughs> you could try. You don't I mean, go grab. Well, maybe you do. Maybe you're you do. You're spending your life by all of five seconds. <laughs> I'm just saying, we really can't blame the victim in this case. We can really only blame Babyface. The victim did literally the only thing within his power other than try to shoot. But, like, shooting from a car, and it, unless unless you are ready to get in that position, I don't think it's, it's very easy. Babyface would have made it work. Only every day. So, one, one way or the other, 
Babyface was going to shoot that guy. I think we can agree with that. Yeah. So, uh, so he basically hops in their car and drives off in it. Now, the FBI, when they'd arrived, they'd only had one car available to them because they'd had, and then they'd had to scramble around to find enough for all the agents. This car was actually customized to reach speeds of 103 miles per hour. He stole the exact car that he needed. Yeah. <laughs> so he was probably like, ooh, bingo, this is exactly what I was looking for. So sometimes you shop around and you shop around and it just takes you forever to find the car of your dreams. And sometimes you shoot a couple of FBI agents, drag them out of the car, hop in and boom, you got it. <laughs> like magic. Murderous magic. So uh, this was a little interesting note back at the little Bohemia lodge. They, they, the gang had had to leave all of their stuff behind. And so the feds are going through this and they find their luggage, machine guns, bulletproof vests, rifles, ammo, tear gas. And then they find some clothes that they identify as Dillinger's, quote, an assortment of pajamas and silk shirts of flamboyant colors, end quote. Well. It was 1930. The flamboyant color was probably navy blue. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> so. My God, he's wearing green. So flamboyant. And then there's the one that is actually the Merchants National Bank that I tried to say was earlier. Uh, this was in uh, June in South Bend, Indiana with Dillinger. He was in on that. The one I said was Merchants before was First National Bank. So uh, Dillinger and three others went into the bank, leaving one with a – basically the, the, the newspaper described it as they left one of their party with a machine gun at the intersection to take care of um, – basically any traffic don't let any cars come past here because a they'll see what we're doing b it could be a cop car whatever you know we just want to get in get out and uh, in the in this process he killed a policeman and i'm just guessing because it's somebody with a machine gun standing out on the street i'm just i'm just guessing that it's baby face <laughs> probably giggling the entire time yeah yeah for some reason i picture him like like switching like starting off like laughing insanely and then, like, kind of, like, breaking down to sobbing tears. And then by the end of it, just crying and laughing maniacally all at the same time. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think he cried. Yeah, I don't know if I see him crying or not. Maybe once in a while, just for a change of pace. All this time, Dillinger had been, or, you know, since public enemy number one, he, he had been the public enemy number one. and But then on July 22nd, 1934, Dillinger was shot. And <laughs> come on down, babyface Nelson. Let's take a look at what you've won. You've won the spot as public enemy number one. Because your buddy got <laughs> Congratulations. Well deserved. Well deserved. That's what you get for being an unstoppable baby killer. <laughs> so he... They put out a $5,000 reward for him. Uh, that's almost $100,000 today. So Babyface Helen and John Paul Chase, they hightail it back to California. They manage to stay out of trouble for a little bit until they come back to the Midwest. That was one of many mistakes, but that was the one of the last ones. So November 27th, 1934, they were in Wisconsin, around Lake Geneva in a stolen car. Somebody spotted him and tipped off the FBI. 
So we had agents Herman E. Hollis and Samuel P. Cowley, who were basically, he was basically in charge, along with uh, Melvin Purvis, in charge of the babyface search. Because he was uh, essentially Melvin Purvis's partner. And so a, a few things about these two. Uh, Cowley's parents were uh, in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, as in p- polygamy. And uh, his dad had four wives. So in- interesting upbringing there. But as oh. in polygamy. As in polygamy, yes. You may, yeah. have, he- you may have heard of us. Polygamy, <laughs> the religion. Yeah. And Cowley was also the one who made the deal with uh, Anna Page, who basically ratted Dillinger out, the woman in red. And then Hollis was one of the three agents who shot Dillinger at the Biograph Theater. So, or two agents, however many, depends on whether you ask the FBI or the rest of the world. I'm going to go with the rest of the world. Yeah. (laughs) So, babyface... John Paul Chase and Helen were all in this stolen car and Cowley and Hollis set out looking for them. This would become known as the Battle of Barrington. That's where everything went down. uh, And now here's what happens. Uh, They are out in the stolen car some other agents happened to see the, the, the car and they start a chase, which somehow <laughs> involved a lot of U-turns. And I'm just picturing this with old-timey cars and it's kind of hilarious. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm just trying to picture like really slow U-turns and it's just, I like it. So, and so they are out on the run they're being chased, making U-turns, and this is, gets confusing because we have a chase, and we also have John Paul Chase. John Paul Chase shot at the agents. They shot back. As far as damage done, uh, some of the windows of both cars were shot out, and Babyface's uh, car, the radiator, got hit, so that car was not uh, in great shape. At, around this point, around Barrington, Illinois, Cowley and Hollis catch up to the scene and they stop Babyface's car and now the shootout is out in the open. And the men are shooting and Helen's like, look, look at that tall grass. I'm going to go lay in it. (laughs) And that's what she does. Smart. That's what I would do. So Nelson, uh, he shoots, Babyface shoots Hollis in the head and he gets Cowley in the abdomen. And that is when they get into the FBI agent's car. They take all of their shit from the stolen car, put it in the FBI agent's car, grab Helen, and they take off. And this all took about five minutes or so. And during this time, though, uh, Nelson, Babyface Nelson had been shot, depending on which source you look at, nine times or 17 Either, Either way. way. <laughs> wow. Excellent. Excellent. Oh, so this is uh, kind of harrowing here because some poor person who was probably just out for a walk or running errands 
just finds the two agents still there at the scene, uh, Hollis and, and Cowley. They're both still alive, but barely. And Hollis, who was 31, uh, died en route to the hospital. Cowley did manage to make it to the hospital, went through a stomach surgery, but he died the next day at age 35. And Hollis's story gets a little rough here. The bystander who found him, or, or a bystander, someone who was around the scene, noticed uh, that he had a rosary in his pocket, so called a priest for him right after he died to, you know, give him the last rites or post rites. And Hollis, actually, this is, this broke my heart. Hollis had a wife and a son. Uh, his son, I couldn't find an age, but his name was Edward and he was fairly young. Now, the, they had a little plan. The, the wife and son were going to surprise daddy at the office to go Christmas shopping. And when they arrived at the bureau office, that's when they found out that Hollis was dead. So mm. that is, yeah, that'll, that'll break your heart every time. That's, that's a rough, rough day. So, and a rough many days after, I'm sure. Oh, the one, the one that got me. Oh my God! Uh, it was it was Nelson. Uh, he was the one whose right, wife had uh, uh, his wife Helen wrapped a blanket around his dead body because he always hated being cold. Oh, I was wondering. Okay, yeah, I kind of understood that. So yeah, that's that. Basically, what happened? He was twenty five. Uh, well, they're out on the run. Babyface succumbs to his wounds, either nine or seventeen. And uh, at least a couple sources said naked body found in a ditch wrapped in a blanket. And I was wondering if anybody had any explanation for, I get the blanket because he's cold, but why naked? Like, I don't think I guess, he was naked. I didn't have any sources that said he was naked. I never, okay. I didn't see anything that said naked either. Whatever source I read first, <laughs> which I couldn't tell you, you know uh, said that. At the time, they would say naked if it was like a man without a shirt. So it's possible they removed his shirt to try to save him. True. So yeah. maybe he wasn't truly naked, but maybe he didn't have a shirt on anymore because they were trying to, to stop the bleeding. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So his body is found there in the ditch. It is actually by a cemetery. So it seems like that spot might have been chosen on purpose. Helen did end up in jail for a year and a day uh, for parole violation because she had earlier been charged with harboring a fugitive. And so Chase was actually indicted for the murders of both of the agents, but he was only tried for Cowley's murder and he was sentenced to prison for that one. And thereafter, for many years, J. Edgar Hoover held the second possible indictment for Hollis's death over Chase's head, just in case he was ever paroled. And so it wasn't until 1955 that Chase filed for a dismissal of that indictment. And the U.S. District Court agreed with the dismissal, because they were like, it's 1955. This was over 20 years ago. Speedy trial, anyone? You have a right to it? <laughs> so, Not in J. Edgar Hoover's America. 
Apparently. So he was actually paroled in 1966. In 1973, he died of cancer. Now, Babyface Nelson is kind of has the record for most uh, FBI agents killed by one person. He was uh, said to have uh, killed three in total. And yeah, hell, there, there's a specification there. It's killed in the line of duty. Okay. All right. That makes sense. That makes sense. Killed in the line of duty. Good, Otherwise, good point. I'd say like PTSD and, and uh, cigarettes and booze would have the have the win. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so Helen, she did uh, live until 1987. Uh, then she died. She had said at one point, speaking of her husband, who she called Les, I knew Les was going to die and I wanted to be with him as long as I could. And she stuck to that. She was buried with him at St. Joseph's Cemetery in Chicago. Hmm. These never end it, well. No, like, it, okay, so I thought Helen's was very sweet because she lived to 79 before she succumbed to heart disease. And um, it was said that she didn't often talk about her husband, but when people would ask her, she would just say, let him be. Oh, hmm. Um, and then both of their children, Ron, Ronald and Darlene, went on to live nice, quiet lives, and they're both also dead. I mean, it's still not on a high note, but <laughs> at least it's not on a tragedy note. I'm getting no, real I, depressed. No, like, I, I think they died of natural causes or natural-ish causes. Um, I didn't actually look, to be honest. I, I just saw an article that said that both both children had already passed away. Um, so, I mean, like they, they got to live normal, quiet lives for a long time, which they probably, their lives would have been very tumultuous if, uh, if Babyface Nelson hadn't died when they were quite young. Oh, could you imagine? I'm sure at least, at least the son probably would have ended up following footsteps or getting accidentally shot in the middle of a bank robbery. So, um, I would say it's probably a good thing that they weren't raised in that environment yeah yeah absolutely so that is everything i have on babyface nelson do you guys have anything else uh i found this this very interesting his wife helen uh j edgar hoover uh quoted was quoted as saying find that woman and give her no quarter so she is the first u.s female public enemy Wow. Hmm. Go, Helen. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. And she managed to get out. Well, she managed to. He didn't manage to actually do anything about it, except she got a year and a day. So they couldn't pin anything else on her, apparently. Yeah. But yeah, first female public enemy. Making, like I said, making strides. <laughs> go, go crush that glass ceiling, Helen. Yay. <laughs> So. The and the amount right. of actors that have played Babyface Nelson is pretty impressive. Uh, we have uh, let's see, Freddie Highmore played Babyface Nelson. Uh, Stephen Graham played Babyface Nelson. C. Thomas Howell from you know fucking Amadeus played Babyface. Uh, Richard Dreyfus back in '73 played Babyface. Uh, He's short enough. Yeah, yeah. 
I also I like Richard Dreyfus just because he is a professional whiner. Why? You know, and fucking Mickey Rooney was the first for first person to play Babyface Nelson. Yeah, that's a lot. I I was just curious because I I, I know that we. Um, I don't. I, it's funny because I think that. Uh, I was just looking to see how many movies they made about Dillinger is what I'm looking up. And they, they did a couple and I'm sure that there were several of those uh, had uh, Babyface Nelson in them. But I feel like almost if it were a popularity contest back in the day, I feel like Dillinger would have won it. Oh yeah. And if for a, a popularity contest a- after their era, I kind of think Babyface Nelson would have won it. You might be right. So it's it's interesting how that shifted. So yeah, Amber, anything else? No, that's all I got. All right. Well, that is Babyface Nelson. Uh, you should come over to our social media. We are Old Timey Crimey on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Come over and find all kinds of content related to the show that Scott is diligently putting up everywhere. And uh, don't forget about our merch. Uh, that's oldtimeycrimey.redbubble.com there's all kinds of different old timey crimey things you can get there it's super fun so you should go and uh, buy yourself a little something you know just treat yourself it's it's nice it's something you should do every once in a while we support it indeed indeed yeah. give us your money yes please <laughs> give us your money also give us your reviews over on iTunes also you can do it on Stitcher anywhere where you can give reviews we love 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 them you know, five stars is great. We don't we don't sneeze at five stars. Um, and so, yeah, just just come over and, and tell us what your favorite old timey case is. Tell us if it were a popularity contest, who would you pick? Who do you Dillinger or Babyface? Van Meter. Van Meter. <laughs> we know I'm a, I'm a baby Van Meter. face all the way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> See, I think I might be a Dillinger girl. It's interesting. It's interesting how that kind of pans out. Scott picks the really weird one. Uh-huh. Amber picks the psycho one. <laughs> We're just picking the ones that suit our personalities the best. This is true. <laughs> yeah. This is absolutely like, true. You guys know I would absolutely blow away a, bun- a bunch of agents just so you could get away out the back. And we love you for it. <laughs> I thought she was going to say she was going to blow baby face Nelson. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> so... So, yeah, uh, if I have any more bullshit, I can't remember it. And that's fine. So what are we doing this weekend, guys? I'm... The same thing we do every weekend. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> I am going to sit <laughs> on the couch and try to become one with it. <laughs> actually, actually, I'm probably going to sit back and, and evaluate my life. Uh, <laughs> my other podcast, Good Morning Cybertron. If you're a big Transformers fan, go listen to it. And if you're not, it's actually kind of a fun thing because it's it, it's a Good Morning Cybertron is about Transformers as much as pizza is about crust. It's just sort of a vehicle for everything else that's on top of it. Um, but yeah, apparently, like some guy got pissed off at our podcast for something we did for to him five years ago, and he made a rap video di- uh, diss track about us. Oh, that's amazing. <gasps> I love it. I don't know that how I don't know how to respond. Like he actually in the video, he actually put my image up without my permission. <laughs> You've arrived. I've arrived. I've absolutely arrived. 
I, it's just, Jesus Christ, I had forgotten about this guy. And the more that I'm, like, at first I was a little angry, not going to lie. But the more I, I looked at this, I went, this is a fucking toy reviewer. This is a guy with a wife and two children. This is cringy. This is very, very cringy. <laughs> and he sat for five years stewing. Yeah. To drop a rap diss. Yeah. That's amazing. You, had that, you owned real estate in his head for five I years. Mean, you were only, right? if you had a 30-year mortgage, you'd be like five years into paying it. Shit, if I had a 10-year mortgage, half because of math. Um. <laughs> <laughs> that only that only comes into play because I actually am in the five the fifth year of a ten year mortgage, um, but yeah, it was just it was just oh my god he had his wife and his two daughters in in the music video and I just looked at his wife and I said you I, I to myself I thought you poor fucking woman you were probably just some sweet kid in high school thinking you're gonna marry your high school crush. And now you're married to this guy who's fucking doing a rap diss track about some guy he met five years ago on a podcast. She's going to use that in the divorce filings. Don't you worry Oh, my God. <laughs> She's going to get the kids. Uh, uh, yeah, or, or, or at least to alienate the children from their father. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, I think he's probably doing an okay job by himself. I, yeah. Oh, my God. God, I meant he's he's probably spent their entire lives hating Scott. So, like, he's not even focusing on the kids because he's like, "How am I gonna break that next lyric?" Oh my god! (laughs) Shut that little thing up! Like, (laughs) oh, it was. I gotta admit, it was kind of beautiful. It was kind of beautiful. There was an entire 4chan thread about it. That is amazing. Oh, this much much like Amber's uh, old tiny crimey this week. This just you think it's over? Yeah. Wait, well, wait. There's more. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. I want cool. links. Uh, okay, I will find I will find the links here for you after the show. That is too much. <laughs> I want oh. to see this wrap this because that's outstanding. <laughs> Amber, uh, aside from watching the Raptus of Scott, what will you be doing this weekend? Um, I'm probably going to like tie the kids up and lock them in a closet so that I can take the Christmas tree down. Uh, uh, yes, your, your children are rebelling against the, the lack of a Christmas tree they will soon be facing, correct? Are. They have literally cried any time I mentioned taking the tree down. So I'm going to have to somehow either remove them from the house or um or restrain them so that i can remove the tree from my house because i'm actually i'm getting rid of it like i'm it's not even i'm taking it down like i'm getting rid of it so i i want it gone (laughs) (laughs) oh wow that that should be fun Uh, what are you doing um I have some editing to do for detectives by the decade don't forget to go and listen to that uh and uh, we have a, I think we're going to, I think we should call it the secret project, guys, uh, that we kind of decided today. So mark this day down. Uh, it'll be a different day when you hear it, but go ahead and mark it down anyhow for posterity. 
Uh, we decided to, to work on a secret project today, and uh, I might do a little preliminary work on that. Now, this is going to be something you're not going to get instant gratification for. This is going to take a while, but it's something that we're all pretty excited about. So I'm going to do a little little digging and see what all I can come up with. And uh, so look for that eventually. I'm not going to talk about it too much just because I don't want to be that person that is constantly hyping a thing that doesn't happen for a long time. <laughs> so, But I figured since today we, we chatted about it briefly and decided, yes, we're for this. I thought I'd put it out there uh, into the universe, just kind of, you know, toss a secret project out there and let it exist in the universe. I'm going to do some of that. And probably play, play some video games with, with Jackson. Uh, that's definitely in the cards. We, we've been enjoying playing Overcooked, which is fun but frustrating, which all the you know best video games are. And uh, we got a Sonic game, too. So we've been playing that, and that's been really uh, revving the old nostalgia engine. So, so, yeah. So I guess that is it for us this week. We will see you again next week. Thank you, as always, for listening to our filthy, filthy, filthy words, some of which got put into newspaper articles in a sort of Mad Lib style. So that was fun and interesting, and we should do that more often. Yes. So, <laughs> so, uh, thanks again. Uh, have a great weekend, and bye. 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 My sources this week are Samuel Ward on All That's Interesting, Biography.com, AsylumProjects.org, Find a Grave, Wikipedia, Space Coast Daily, LittleBohemiaLodge.com, Gary Jenkins on the Gangland Wire podcast, Ian Harvey on Vintage News, and the Chicago Tribune, Minneapolis Star, and Globe Gazette. My sources are Murderpedia.org, Wikipedia, www.fbi.gov, allthat'sinteresting.com, crimemuseum.org, and legendsofamerica.com. My sources this week are allthat'sinteresting.com by Samuel Ward, fbi.gov, biography.com, babyfacenelsonjournal.com, legendsofamerica.com, 99wfmk.com by John Robinson.